This is the For Life and Godliness podcast. The book of Jonah is probably one of my favorite Old Testament books because in it we see so much of ourselves through the person of Jonah. And depending on how you look at that, it can be a good thing, but it can also be a hard thing because seeing that reflection hurts, especially with how we view and treat non-believers or those non-believers who become saved. Because then we have the question in our mind, are they really saved? So we fall into this high view of self and low view of what God can do. This is why we must do an internal critique of ourselves and how we view others, but ultimately that will reflect how we are viewing God. Because what we should have and what we should display if we are in Christ is love, grace, kindness, and compassion. Because our Lord displayed love, grace, kindness, and compassion. If we fail to possess those qualities, then we end up like who we're going to see in today's episode. So we are going to begin in Jonah chapter 4, and then we are going to end in a New Testament text. But before we read Jonah 4, let's do a quick survey over the first three chapters so we understand what's going on. Chapter 1, Jonah is called by God to preach his message to the people of Nineveh in order that they would stop their wickedness and turn to the Lord. Now, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. This is a Gentile city. So in here, we see a foreshadowing of God's grace to all nations. But we also see God's grace to his enemies. Nineveh is an enemy of Israel. Jonah refuses this call and flees from God. So clearly Jonah did not read Psalm 139, written by David, which says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? He gets on a boat to Tarshish, and the Lord causes a great storm. God used Jonah to bring about the salvation of foreign sailors. We see this in verse 14 of chapter 1. It says, They called upon the Lord. Jonah tells the crew to throw him overboard, and then the Lord causes a big fish to swallow him. Now, I believe that the Lord created this fish specifically for this occasion. And I believe Jonah was alive in the belly of the fish because in chapter 2, he prays. Chapter 2 Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. And in this prayer, we see the repentance of Jonah submitting to God's will 
And then Jonah remembered the promises of God. In chapter 3, Jonah tells the people of Nineveh that in 40 days the city will be destroyed. This message made its way to the king, all the way to the top. Everybody repented. And in verse 10, God shows mercy. He relented. Or the KJV says he repented. But is this repentance of God the same as our repentance of sin? No. Our repentance is because we have wronged God, so we must change. God has simply held off what he said he was going to do. God is in control, and he is unfolding his plan according to his will. So he shows mercy. And now we arrive at chapter 4. And this is what chapter 4 of the book of Jonah says. But it greatly displeased Jonah. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it, There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it, in the shade, until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew, grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he became faint, and begged all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant, for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than a 120 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. So in verse 4, we arrive at Jonah's dismay. Jonah is greatly displeased, and he becomes angry. He begins to whine, and he begins to complain. Now this word displeased, in the Hebrew, it's, it's used many times. And almost half of those times, 
it means to do evil. So several sources I looked up about this text, uh, they all basically came to the same conclusion that this literally means that it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and it burned to him. So Jonah here is calling God's actions evil. Why? Because the Lord displayed his mercy upon the people of Nineveh. Now there's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is receiving something you didn't deserve. And mercy is not receiving what you deserve. What did the people of Nineveh deserve for their wickedness? The wrath of God. But God relented. He did not give them what they deserved. But he actually extended grace to them by sending Jonah to give them his message. So grace and mercy, while they are not the same thing, we always see them together. But Jonah knew that God would relent. In verse 2 he says, Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? And look at the reason why Jonah fled. Still in verse 2, he says, For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. So Jonah appeals to the perfections of God as his excuse for why he disobeyed. Jonah wanted the city to be destroyed because in his mind, they didn't deserve salvation. And then in verse 3, Jonah just continues whining. Take my life. Death is better to me than life. He's essentially saying, this is not fair. But do we want fair? If God were to be fair, then all of us would suffer the judgment of God. Even in this very book, if God were to be fair, then not only would Nineveh be destroyed, Jonah would be too. Because we see Jonah's sin against God written on these very pages. We don't want fair. We want grace. We want mercy. That is what we want. That is what we need. And that is what God gives. And in verse 5, we see Jonah in his anger attempts to create his own comfort. He made a shelter and sat in the shade just to see what would happen to the city. Don't we do that? Don't we try to comfort ourselves when we think we're right, even if our thinking that we're right is against God? Don't we still try to comfort ourselves? But not only that, don't we even try to bring others along with us so that we can have a companion, so that we can have someone on our side, even if them being on our side means that they're against God as well? And yet, we see in verse 6, God working on behalf of Jonah when he doesn't deserve it. He causes a great plant to grow and give Jonah shade from the heat. Now this is grace, 
but it is also an object lesson. Because then God causes a worm to attack the tree, and that tree withers and dies. And now we see Jonah angry again, but in a different way. It's a different type of anger. This time, he is angry with compassion over the dying plant. And God points out to Jonah that he has compassion for the wrong things. You have compassion for this plant that you didn't work for, you didn't cause to grow, it came up overnight, and it perished overnight. You have more concern for the plant than you do people who are made in my image. And then God just shows how loving he is in this last verse. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand? Now this uh, 120,000, this is just the children. Small children don't know the difference between their right hand or their left hand. So if we assume two parents per child plus elderly, and then maybe we scatter in some single people in there, we're up to around five to 600,000 people. And God is telling Jonah, do I not have the right as the creator of all things to show compassion towards those whom I formed in the womb? Jonah's reaction was indignation towards God. Jonah was saying, I'm an Israelite, one of your people, and I deserve salvation. And what you're doing is evil by not displaying judgment upon your enemies. That's ultimately Jonah's response. But what should have been Jonah's response? Rejoicing. Jonah should have rejoiced that the city of Nineveh believed in the one true God. But in this example of Jonah, we can see clearly the difference between self-pity and selflessness. Self-pity is an elevation of self. Look at me, woe is me. Selflessness is a decreasing of self. It's a thinking of yourself less. Self-pity causes insensitivity towards others. Selflessness counts others as above yourself. Self-pity says, I don't want to give God's message to the lost. Selflessness says, I will serve the Lord so that others may be saved. Now turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Here we have three parables that Jesus tells in sequence. And oftentimes people focus on one of these parables, mainly the prodigal son, and ignore the other two that precede it. And when that happens, the prodigal son becomes the focus of the parable. When in context, he actually isn't the main focus. 
Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes because they had a problem with Jesus sitting and eating with tax collectors and sinners. We really just saw this with Jonah. Now in the first parable, what do we see? A man loses one of his 99 sheep. So he goes, finds it, and when he does, he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Then Jesus says, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In the second parable, a woman has 10 coins. She loses one. She searches and finds it, and her response, Rejoice with me, for I have found my coin, which I had lost. Jesus says, There is joy in the presence of God, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now consider what we just read in Jonah with the 120,000, which is really five to 600,000. All of heaven rejoices over one sinner, and yet one man, Jonah, couldn't rejoice over any of the multitude of people who believed. And then we get into the final parable, the prodigal son, which should more appropriately be titled the parable of the elder brother. Now we know the story of the prodigal son. A man has two sons. One wants his inheritance now, so the father gives it. He goes off and he squanders it. And then what we see in this parable is we see the repentance of the son in verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then we see the grace of the father in verses 22 through 24. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Then walks in the elder brother into the picture. And we see in verse 28 that he became angry. And so, if you write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline that phrase, he became angry, and then off to the side write CF, cross-reference, Jonah 4, 1. Because it's very much the same type of anger that came upon the elder brother in this parable. Now this word, angry, it means fuming mad. It's a passionate anger. So they, Jonah and the elder brother, became angry because the actions of God and the actions of the father in the parable offended them. God's grace and mercy always offends those who believe themselves to be more righteous than anyone else. And then in verse 29, we see the self-righteousness of the brother. 
But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Like Jonah, he could not bring himself to rejoice over the one sinner who repented. The elder brother in this parable is representative of the scribes and Pharisees. They're self-righteous in keeping their own law and traditions. They could not rejoice when a sinner came to the Lord. In the scribes and Pharisees, we can clearly see Jonah as well. Jonah was prideful in his self-righteousness and could not bring himself to rejoice over the city. We must remember that salvation is of the Lord, not based off who Jonah, the elder brother, the scribes, the Pharisees, or even who we think salvation should be for. When God's goodness is an insult to you, then you're in sin. Now, one thing I didn't discuss about Jonah is if you look throughout the book of Jonah, you see that he is a roller coaster of emotions. One minute he's up, the next minute he's down, and his actions are clearly based off of emotion. It's what we would call being led by our emotions. So in this situation, he reacts rather than responds. And if you want to put it into spiritual terms, you can say that Jonah reacts from the flesh rather than responds according to the spirit. Reaction is impulsive. It's based on feeling. Response is controlled, based on considering the circumstances. So now, how do we, through these two passages, how do we view uh, or, or what insights can we gain about God's love? Well, we can see that it is for all. Does God love all people? In a sense, yes, because he gives even, even the most hardened atheist, he gives grace by allowing their lungs to fill with air and their hearts to beat. He is patient and he is still willing to be gracious to those who offended him. So how can we avoid becoming like Jonah and the elder brother? Well, we first must understand who God is and how God loves. But we must also exemplify the character that Christ portrayed. Christ was loving, kindness, compassionate, graceful towards others. He gave people the gospel, called them to repentance, and then walked alongside them. And we should very much do the same thing. Part of our problem, as we still have that sin that dwells within us, is we look at some people and we say they don't deserve salvation. And yet we think we do. We don't deserve salvation at all. Paul tells us in Romans 6, chapter 23, that the wages of our sin, our due payment, is death. That is what we deserve. 
So are we better than the non-believer? No, we're just better off. But yet, what are we commanded to do? We are commanded to give the gospel and then to love them. That is what we are to do. So we should not look down our nose on anyone and say something to the effect of, they don't deserve salvation, or I hope they receive the judgment of God. Rather, we should give the gospel and we should pray for them and then allow the Holy Spirit to convict the heart. For Life and Godliness is a production of Servants of Grace. If this podcast has blessed you in any way, let us know by leaving a review. would love to hear from you.